What's good, modern workers? Before we start the show, I just wanted to tell you about our MOO Live Webinar Sessions for June 2021, a month that's dedicated to SharePoint stuff. On Thursday, June 3rd at 10 a.m. Central, learn how to surface up your most important files and resources by publishing them to your SharePoint sites. On Thursday, June 17th at 10 a.m. Central, join us as we dive into Microsoft Viva Connections, a new feature that brings your SharePoint home site into Microsoft Teams. Register today by following the link in the episode description. Also, don't forget to check out our past webinars on YouTube. And now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Movo Show podcast. We've got a great one lined up again. As always, my name is Ryan Bialik, practice lead of the Modern Workplace team at Clear Concepts, joined as always by Alex Henry. Alex, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing quite well, sir. How are you today? I'm pumped. I'm excited for today's guest. I'm excited for today's topic. Uh, I know we talk a lot about tech. I know we talk a lot about Microsoft, guilty uh, as charged, but today we're talking about wellness. Um, I've, I've been seeing this word sort of come up as I scroll around LinkedIn, as I talk to people languishing. So we're going to kind of talk about how people are working from home. Obviously there's a, a Microsoft angle and a modern workplace angle to that. So on that note, happy to introduce Paul. Paul, how are you doing? Doing well. So glad to be on the show. Um, First, uh, Ryan, I don't know when we met or reached out on LinkedIn a couple uh, couple months back, but once I found your show and what you were doing, I was super excited to get onto this podcast just because like what I think you guys are doing is really unique, uh, helping to navigate you know corporate workplace. Uh, you know, my angle on it was workplace wellness, like how we communicate in the workplace and how we leverage technology. It's very important. So yeah, excited to be here and uh, ready to ready to go. Right on. And I think there's that interesting parallel between digital health and physical health and mental health. So I, I, I think we're going to get a little bit into that today. Um, first off, though, tell us about yourself. As, as we always do with our guests, we want to know career-wise, life-wise, how did you get to to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. The you know, I guess we'll go to the short story. We won't have probably too long for the for the long version of it. But uh, yeah, I I started off as a strength and conditioning coach at a local gym here in Winnipeg for about four and a half years. And uh, before that, obviously doing schooling and uh, following that career path and just, you know, being the gym bro, going to the gym, pumping some iron, trying to work on the biceps. But uh, my dream was really to, uh, nice flex there, Alex. Uh, yeah, my dream was really to get into the strength conditioning field. I wanted to get my hands, uh, get my hands dirty, start training people and help people achieve their goals. So the career path traditionally is through, you know, you get your kin degree, um, you do your internships, hopefully at uh, a nice gym. Uh, and then from there with that field work, you need some experience and you kind of, uh, you basically, you know, start training people. And if one thing I learned real quick was people don't, you know, care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, my kind of, I guess, background with school was very kind of rocky. Like I, I did really good in high school. And then when it came time to university, I'm learning all this, the newest stuff in health and wellness. And then I've got this old teacher, this old Russian lady telling me that I can't eat butter. I should eat margarine. And I'm just going, what? And I'm just like, this is what I'm paying for. So I 
This is not yeah, computing. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm literally not only trying to learn from the leading experts in the field, like people who are actually doing the thing and going to my own conferences and seminars on, like on my own dollar while going to school and le- then learning this stuff, this outdated textbook, traditional, you know, Canada food pyramid. Like I don't even know what it is anymore now, but like uh, it, I left school a couple of times and I would go back and then it just came to this point where I, I decided to actually uncouple from school, you know, consciously uncoupled from school. And uh, I decided that I was just going to pursue this kind of autodidactic approach. So I just became a self learner, voracious reader, you know, constantly reading. And again, pursuing that whole path of just trying to better myself and, under, and my understanding and really leveraging the skill of just communicating and talking to people. Um, when I finally got that job at that gym, it was because I actually did a, a course online, which actually, you know, if we talk about technology, it comes from the same company, but they also have a certificate program, a level one, level two program. It's all for nutrition coaching. Um, but it really comes down to like behavior change and they teach you how to actually, how do you talk to people? How do you coach? Uh, and it's again, less about you, you centric. It's about being, becoming client centric and learning from them. So it kind of really just opened my eyes to like, you know, people don't really care, you know, what the ultimate chest exercises in the set and rep scheme, they just want the bigger chest, right? It's kind of like the people don't want a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch hole. And I think Seth Godin said it best where he's like, well, they don't even want that. They want the hole that they could put their picture frame on so they could look at their family and get a nice emotional response, right? So there's always something deeper, there's always layers that you could pull back on it. But ultimately, once I got that certificate, a guy locally saw that I did it. I was one of the first people in Manitoba to get it done. And then he reached out to me and then basically we kind of hit it off. We had a lot of the same values. He had just started at this gym and then they decided to take a chance on me. And then like, yeah, I, I interned there while working for my dad, delivering oil and fixing fuel pumps down here, crushing audiobooks in a work truck, you know, doing that by day and then going to the gym at night. Uh, and then Within a couple months, I got a full-time job there and I was there for four and a half years. And then now kind of quickly into the corporate side, this was something completely new to me. Like ever, even when I started that gym and I was at university, I, I knew I wanted to do my own thing and I just didn't know how it looked. And like, you know, Cal Newport talks a lot about career capital, right? I just didn't have any career capital to leverage. I didn't have any skills, right? I just knew I had ambition, but you need to have some sort of skills and, you know, to back that up. Um, So I I really, after four and a half years, I was kind of learning a little bit about this whole role of health coaching. And it came from like in the States, it's pretty big, just with their healthcare system and their corporate wellness. There's just a lot of money in it. And I think in Canada, there's less of a pressure to have to have those, that sort of role in an organization but it was becoming more prominent. So I decided I would jump on it, try to learn what I could. So started reading a few books, started reaching out to some people. And then it just came down to literally one day I was coaching uh, some of the senior leaders at a Canada top 100 employer here in uh, Winnipeg. And I just went up to one of them and said like, hey, what do you think of the role uh, a health coach plays in the future of business? And he's just like a health coach. I'm looking for that person right now. And I'm just like, I'm your guy. And I just stuck out my hand. And it was really kind of like a fake it till you make it approach to starting my own business because I I knew I wanted to do my own thing. I knew I wanted to have more people have a bigger impact. I knew the way corporate wellness currently was. It was very reactive. 
You've got the dusty corporate benefits binder, which you brush off and it's just really a safety net. It's not really proactive in a sense. Um, so that's where I kind of came in. I want to bring my knowledge that I had with coaching and bring it to the corporate field and help give employees a, a, you know, someone that they could lean on for accountability and help guide them to making better choices as opposed to, hey, every year we're going to do a biggest loser challenge, which we know doesn't work in the long run, right? So it's really getting away from the standard kind of wellness committee stuff and looking a little bit more deeper. And the nuance of this isn't lost on me. It became very quick. Like I come in, you know, guns ablazing, you know, biceps flex, just kidding. I didn't do that, but I come in there thinking I'm just going to do nutrition exercise coaching. And within like four months, we're talking, I'm like, you know, there's more to this than just the nutrition exercise piece, how we communicate an organization. What's the senior leadership team like, like, what are the, what are the hidden nudges and cues that they're leaving? Right? Like, for example, you know, we're talking about mental health, but your manager is sending you emails at 9 p.m. expecting a response on a Friday night or Saturday night, right? Like, and because when I talk about food and nutrition, it's about food and nutrition, but it's not. Oftentimes, the choices that we make, it's the last link in a chain of a series of other events. You know, you're stressed out. Or for me, I had a terrible sleep and today I've had like one protein bar and that's it. So just the fact of like what's negative or not getting enough sleep can do for your appetite and your mood and your energy. So health became a bigger concept than just nutrition and exercise. That's really one sliver of kind of six elements that make up what would be like considered deep health, which again, I learned about from uh, Precision Nutrition, which is that company I got trained in. So, you know, I've been rambling off for a little bit, but just so you know, like my, where I came from, it started off as just like the... Northern boy, grew up in Thompson, working out at the gym, just only guy who knew how to use a foam roller and what it was to moving down to the city and starting my own business and trying to navigate the pandemic, which has been a battle trying to get new clients. But, uh, you know, I'm still afloat and it could be a lot worse. Right on. So we'll come back to deep health. I know that's something that I did want to to, to cross over with you. Um, love the story, though. Um, that entrepreneurial spirit certainly rings with me. I think there's there's quite a few parallels in what you what you've just described in the things that we go through, even in the tech world. Right, we can do big, flashy, you know, migration blitzes to get people to the cloud or use this new app, this new fantastic thing, but they're not looking for you know the hole in the wall. They're looking for they're not looking for that chat app. They're not mm-hmm. looking for that feature. They're looking for something that helps them change the way they work. It gets their job done faster. Get it, it reaches customers in a new way or a better way. Mm-hmm. So interesting parallels. I love that wellness angle to, to, to technology and absolutely part of the modern workplace um, culture as well. Um, so that journey, so now, you're, now we're up to the point where Venova Wellness, tell us more about that. I know it's, it's platform, it's program, again, very similar to what we're doing with MoWo and how we consider that approach. Yeah, so with Venova Wellness, um, I really wanted to focus on how how I deliver programs because kind of coming in as one person into an organization, you know, it's hard to scale a consulting business because you're trading time from dollars. Right? It gets very hard. You limit that's that. There's a ceiling, and it comes real quick. And like earlier when I said, like about that four month window when I start and I noticed that it's really not about the whole physical health piece. There's all these other dimensions. That's also when I started 
feeling like I can't, you know, when I get half the employees of a 400 employee company sign up for a program, I'm stressed out through the roof because now that's 200 lives I'm trying to stay on top of. And it's overwhelming, right? Like, and it's at the point where you can't, can't hire more people because, you know, can't afford it. So what are the things that I can do? Well, you know, I try to practice what Dan Sullivan talks about with strategic coach and it's, you know, who, not how I want to outsource the shit that I don't, you know, part of my French, I don't know if we're allowed to I swear on here, but uh, I don't know if I'm, uh, you know, I, I like I, I try to know what I don't know and then outsource those things. So mm-hmm. for example, like I, I knew that mental health is big even before the pandemic um, and we, we hear about it all the time. But I'm not really in a place to be someone who can just start like I can talk about it. I can be an advocate for it. I can help break down that stigma. I can talk about my personal experience and we should all do those things to help. But when it comes to an actual program, I didn't really know what to do. So I reached out to a company that I actually read about in a corporate wellness book. A former Google exec started this mindfulness company um, in the States. And then they start to work with LinkedIn, Salesforce, Starbucks, a bunch of companies and I'm like, I need to reach out to them and try to bring that program into what I do. Likewise, when I start the nutrition exercise piece, I couldn't be writing exercise programs for 200 plus people and then want to take on more clients. Like you just, it's super hard. The only way to do that is to copy and paste programs, but you don't want to be cookie cutter in your approach. So that's where I went to Precision Nutrition and they've got this awesome software uh, called Pro Coach, and it allows you to kind of scale that business. So I leveraged the Precision Nutrition Program, this other one uh, for the mental health component. Recently, I reached out to a former colleague of mine at the gym I used to work at, and he's helping to do the virtual fitness classes called Get Fit on the Go. So I'm really at a point now where it's like, what software and tools can I use to kind of create a nice, I guess in tech, you guys call it tech stacks, you know, whatever. I try to come up with like my own wellness stacks. Like what are the wellness stacks that I can integrate with a company? And kind of do like a broker a la carte method where a company's like, we don't, we've already got a physical benefits plan. We give people 200 months a year for, uh, you know, a gym membership. Okay. But are you doing anything for mental health? No. Okay. Well, I've got this awesome program here or you don't do anything. Well, let me come in and advise you, help you with your wellness committees and kind of figure it out. So really allows me to free my time up to work directly with the senior leadership team, managers, wellness committees, and ensure that what they're doing, the behaviors they're practicing are actually going to create that nice ripple effect in an organization. Um, And just to kind of give you a little insight in the way that my brain thinks about some of these things is uh, Gallup had done a survey a while back and they found that 70% of the team's variance and engagement comes from their manager, Right. So it's the people that we come into direct contact with, right? So we know that that peer interaction, that peer recognition is huge for morale, for engagement and all of this. So if you go to work and you're trying to eat healthy, but the person in the cubby beside you or your manager is coming in with triple, triple coffees and afternoon donuts, these are environmental. Yeah. Yeah. The, are, are you the, are you the giver or are you the receiver, the receiver? <laughs> A little bit of yeah. both, I guess. And you know what? <laughs> now and then, it's not bad, but it's just one of these things where if the message doesn't align with what you're saying, like if what you're saying doesn't align with what you're doing, you there's that incongruency leads to uh, you know a lack of buy-in because there's not really any trust in the whole process of what you're trying to do, right? So maybe every month it's uh, you know the donut Wednesdays or whatever it is, but then on the other 
days of the week. Maybe every Wednesday is a, a healthy lunch from Freshie or, or something like that, right? Like just spitballing. But mm-hmm. it's basically trying to do what you can as a manager to help. And it doesn't mean that that manager has to go and study exercise science and nutrition. You know, you, you don't have to do that. You just, we know that if you're, for example, trying to eat healthier, if you stare at a salad or a burger, intuitively, you just know which one's better, right? Like you don't need a registered dietitian to come in and say, okay, Alex, this is why then the salad's healthier for you. Like you just know by looking at it, right? So I think there's a lot of things that managers can do, but they don't necessarily have to revolve even around about like about putting a salad in front of an employee. It could just be about talking about things, right? How are you feeling today? How's your energy today? Like you ask questions that are kind of indirectly linked to these sorts of things. So if someone keeps saying that they're feeling like garbage and they're sleeping bad, but they keep showing up to work, you know, eating bad foods, then there possibly could be a conversation where you have, like, you don't necessarily have to have with the employee themselves, but you can say, hey, we've got an awesome nutrition coach at your fingertips who you could reach out to and have a great conversation with about this. Or maybe you should look at doing, you know, X, Y, Z to help yourself out. So um, I think that we hear a lot about it's either like the bottom up approach to health and wellness or the top down approach. I kind of think it's more middle out. Everyone has to have their own role and we can all be an agent of change and we can all have influence on each other. And one great example of this is, have you guys heard of like, you're the sum of the five people you hang out the most with? Like that's kind of like a common, uh, I guess, social thing. Um, But I like to say Mm -hmm. like, you're also in someone else's core five. So whether you like it or not, Mm -hmm. you're influencing someone's behavior for better or worse anyone around i'd like to i'd like to just put out a formal apology to my family and friends <laughs> it's i probably have a lot of explaining to yeah. do hey it's it's one of these things where it's just like i i'm not gonna say that all that stuff's bad like you know my girlfriend makes amazing bagels uh and uh she's a chef at Pacero, and i crush a bagel a day probably and they're so good but it's just we can't look at nutrition and the isolation of one thing, right? It's so much bigger. You have to look at the context of your day, your week, your month, like, and that's just nutrition. How are you moving? You know, how's your mental health and other stuff? So uh, I think you're okay, Alex. I think you're, as long as you're not, you know, getting it drop shipped, skip the dishes, drop shipped to uh, your employees or your family's <laughs> house. <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's, it's come to mind, but you know, I've got to have some kind of discipline um not going to the off like back last year i guess 2019 oh boy ages ago um working downtown trying to resist the urge of going to like every single coffee shop buying like a big thing of donuts bring it in and be like yeah hey come indulge with me come on you know you want one no you want two let's do this (laughs) but that but there's there's an there's an important word that you said to alex is is discipline having that discipline and i think back to what you mentioned Paul about managers or or team leads sort of taking that on, um, having the discipline that probably can feed back pretty strongly into a corporate culture. Yeah. Like you say, if you if you're getting emails at nine p.m. from the same guys and gals that are teaching you to have work life yeah. balance, you're out of integrity yeah. that, at that point. So you're, that's mm-hmm. a knock. Exactly, and in, that's in our world. In our world, with, with like just as a fun, as a funny aside, Alex and I, you know, if you're getting emails from someone that's telling you to use Teams and use Chat more, 
there's an incongruency. There's that, you're it, out of yeah. integrity, and that's <laughs> gonna kind of probably damage your efforts of taking on or adopting new software. So exactly. I love that parallel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like Alex, you had a great example though. Like you're downtown, and these the coffee shops and all that stuff, they're literally you know a hop, skip, and a jump away. Like they're right there. But this is the thing. Like I often talk about like helping people, you know create lifestyle change through the zero motivation and willpower method because motivation and willpower, there are resources, right? It's about energy and where we're directing our energy. But the thing is you can only, you're only as good as a system you're put into. So if the system you're put into, and we look at this environment around us is ultra processed, hyper palatable foods, your subconscious brain will out, outgun your rational brain nine times out of 10. And that's, it's directing us right now, whether you like it or not. And if you add in a layer of stress, you know what, you're not working out enough, you're not moving enough, that slog just, it pulls you in. And it's, you know, Jocko Wellnick would say, yeah, discipline is freedom or whatever the, or David Goggins. I don't know if you guys have watched his stuff. It's very like, you know, the in your face motivation stuff, but it doesn't really work. Because when you look into the real world, like we're being constantly nudged and cued in directions that our primitive brain craves. We want something that tastes good because literally it would, it actually makes the most sense to eat the foods that are cheapest, but have the most calories because then it's a better survival that makes sense. Right. Yeah, but did, in terms of, you didn't know when you were going to get your yeah, next meal. You, and in terms of your health though, this is a different conversation now because if we lived in an environment where you you didn't have access to McDonald's, Burger King, all these fast food joints, you'd make different choices. I don't know if they'd be healthier, but I think you might. And, you know, I tell people, I got this from Michael Pollan, who's a great food author. He actually recently started writing about uh, how to change your mind. So like psychedelics and stuff. So very interesting author, but he, he had this book called In Defense of Food. And one of his things was like, don't eat any food your great grandmother wouldn't eat. And it was more like principle based kind of eating. And I, and I liked it, you know, don't eat anything with less or more than five ingredients on it. Cause then it's not really food at that point. Um, and I think there's little things like that, that we could kind of take, you know, if you're going to have a burger, you know, cook it at home because literally it would be vi- like, it's close to impossible to add the amount of trans fats, you know, vegetable oils salt and sugar salt salt is huge Mm -hmm. like a chicken breast i used to work in restaurants and the amount of sodium in a chicken breast is just unfathomable delicious but unreal totally so if you just did that thing if you had that chicken burger at home but you went and got your own chicken breast and your own cheese and your own you know pineapple slice or whatever you want on your nice tropical chicken burger like you it's going to be way healthier than what you would have done there but again, like I've lately been very cautious about the way I use the word health because health is optimal responsiveness in my view. It's how you respond to things. So if you know Alex has a cheeseburger and then his blood glucose level shoots up and then it doesn't come down quick enough or I have it and it's just riding up an all-time high and then I just ride that kind of roller coaster, that who's healthier? We both have the same thing, right? But it's how our bodies are responding to it and that's just kind of through the lens of nutrition. And that's just one biometric variable, uh, blood glucose. Like there's so many other things that are happening. 
So to say like, oh, this food's healthier, you know, you got carnivore people saying this is healthier. You've got vegetarians saying that this is healthier. And it's like, until I like, all I know is that humans have survived on many different diets and you trying to achieve fat loss is going to be different than someone who's trying to achieve optimal performance, like an elite athlete. And that is going to be completely different than someone who's trying to optimize their overall health. So you kind of have like this Venn diagram, like three pillars of health, body composition, and performance. And I always like to try to get in the middle, maybe leaning more towards health. But if I'm training for a marathon, I want to be able to kind of dip into the performance area. But if I ever go too far into one area where I become a hypochondriac and all I care about is optimizing my health and I start rocking blue light blockers like David Asprey all the time, and I'm constantly stressed about all the foods I eat, who knows what that stress does to you, right? Likewise, if all I do is pursue optimal performance and I'm trying to set new personal bests in the gym every single time, well, it's probably only a matter of time till you herniate a disc or blow your knees out or whatever it is, right? You have to train smart. Likewise, with body composition, you look at fitness models or bodybuilders, you know, when they stand on stage, we often think that that's health, but that's not healthy, right? So I think we want to kind of stay in that middle. How can you optim? How can you get into the the healthiest range body composition based off your age, sex, gender? Uh, sorry, sex and gender are the same thing, obviously. Uh, but like, how can you get into that same that optimal zone? So uh, performance, health, body composition. I think that's kind of where I try to get people. And then if someone says like, "Look, I just want a six pack for the summer." Okay, you have that conversation. Well, these two things might take a hit, but we can make that happen. And how you're going to eat to make that happen might not be conducive to you also wanting to run an extremely fast half marathon. So it's just like helping people navigate those conversations. Mm-hmm. Balance. I mean, in the last couple of episodes, we've been focusing on why. And, and, and again, to bring it back to, to a technology angle is why. Why do you want to do that? Yeah. Or why do you need this? Totally. Thing? Start with why, and then you can kind of balance those yeah. outcomes. That's awesome. And this is kind of where we get lost in social media, where people often see what like other fitness influencers are putting out. And it's kind of like you get trapped in an echo chamber, but you also don't really know what you're looking for. Like I, if I want healthy information, I start looking up fitness people and they're posting, you know, leg workouts and all these crazy new exercises and TRX straps and kettlebells and stuff. Is that act and I and I don't know anything about healthy living. Is that the right person I should be following? And then all the stuff that I'm learning from that person, and that's just one person I'm learning from, are all those inputs also from your family, friends, and coworkers, are all those inputs actually nudging you closer to that ultimate why? So I think that's why it's really important to find a good coach who can actually sit down and listen. Like I in all my coaching, I try to ask two to three exploratory questions. For every one piece of advice I give. And even when I give advice, I always try to make sure I add in a, a layer of autonomy or I give choices. You know, okay, you can't have eight to 10 servings of uh, fruits and vegetables every day. That's completely fine. Here's three avenues that I think will help you improve where you, based on where you are now and where you wanna go. Which one works best for you, Ryan? And then we kind of work together mm-hmm. and it, we wanna align that ready, willing, able component. You know, those are kind of like the three elements I want to ensure. So I think that comment on the why and, and the balance is very important. Yeah. Strategic change, incremental change. I think you can, I mean, you get there over time. You just had to break it into, into bite-sized yeah, pieces, totally. right? Right on. 
Um, so let's switch gears. Let's get let's get a little um, into mental health. And, and again, pandemic. Not to make um, pandemic the topic du jour, but pandemic. I'm reading more, and I'm seeing this one word pop up over and over again in articles and social media and, and blogs. Is languishing. Our coworkers are languishing. We're at home. We're isolated. We're feeling isolated, and it's been a year plus now of this, with with restrictions and COVID and pandemic. People are languishing. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe certain regions of the world are starting to see that light at the end of the tunnel. Locally, not so much. I, I you know, seem one step forward, two steps back, sort of thing. What are you hearing about again, languishing, or that topic of of that struggle? When I first heard about it, I was so ecstatic because it was an Adam Grant New York Times article and he called it like the neglected middle child of uh, mental health and the article was enlightening from one standpoint was because I had finally a definition for how I've been feeling and even like a little bit before the the pandemic and uh, and then also from the standpoint of like just knowing that mental health and I think this is good from an education standpoint is that it's a spectrum, right? You might on one end have complete depression, but on the other end, you might have you're thriving abundantly, right? You're just a happy-go-lucky person. And I'd always tell people, so I'll just talk to myself, like shared experience. It's just like, I've always felt, you know, especially, you know, I, one day I might feel awesome and the next day I'll just feel like meh. Like I'm like, I'll t- and I tell people like, I'm not depressed, like I'm not angry, I'm just... Not irritable. I'm just kind of like I don't know. Like, what am I? What am I doing? What, Blue, right? Yeah. I'm just like, what am I doing yeah, with my life, yeah. right? Or just kind of like it's like a blah. I've always I've, I've used the word blah before because it's like some kind of gray, neutral, not up, not yeah. down, but you're just in a yeah, place. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, when I read that article, you probably felt the same way. But I was just like, oh my god, like Kate, if this is the word, like one of the most important things that we can do in terms of creating that self awareness around mental health is a technique called noticing and naming. So slowing down, giving yourself some complete space, you know, putting the phones away and just tuning in, you know, slowing your breath down, getting those nice deep breaths and then feeling it. And maybe if you feel frustrated, just going, yo, frustration, what's up? And like you name it, like, so you felt it and you're like, okay, frustration feels like I'm like tight up here, my neck's a little tight. And then you called it out and right away you take away the power. And from there you can navigate it, your choice on how you're going to respond to it. But most of us let those emotions uh, dictate our, our actions. And we don't want that. We want to cr- try to create a little bit of space between that. So we respond a little bit better and talk about optimal responsiveness. So it's not about, I forgot who said this, but like, it's not about controlling emotion. It's about mastering it and learning how to embrace it and utilize it. Where are you going to put that energy? So now for me to read that, like, I kind of feel blah, but like, I, I don't know how to explain it to people. Now I can say like, you know, Oh, Hey, Hey, languishing. How's it going? Where are you today, right? Oh, you're you're in my side, you're in my abs. I feel kind of like I have butterflies like before I got on the call, like a little nervous. Whatever it might be, you call it out and then you're able to say, you know what, that's fine. I think you have to add that layer of self-compassion into common humanity mm-hmm. is an element of that. And that just means like everyone else is going through this. So even like I think with the pandemic, it's really hard for us to know that other people are going through it when in the back of our heads, we do know it. But there's that feeling of like, are they really? Until I get on this call and I hear Alex say like, ah, I feel blah too. And Ron, you're shaking your head too. And I'm like, yeah. So mm-hmm. other people are feeling it right away. That's like a weight off my shoulders, knowing that it's not just me 
the only person alive who's just languishing alone in their condo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I had a good supervisor a few years back. Let's go, let's go three, four years back. Um, and her, her her world or her insight to me, probably the the biggest thing I remember working with her was mindfulness. And and, and I kind of feel that's almost maybe along the same lines here is is asking yourself, why do I feel this way? Um, Alex, you probably have seen me. I sometimes get a little hot under the collar sometimes. Something happens or something doesn't happen. Something happens with a client. And I have this tendency to take things personally. And that supervisor at the time, she's like, okay, don't send that angry email. Don't respond to it right away. Put that air gap between your what you're feeling and what your response is going to be and stop and ask yourself, why do I feel this way? Well, I feel this mm-hmm. way because a, a client turned me off or, or someone didn't like something I designed or they you know, had something negative about me. And then, okay, that's why I feel this way. And then you can kind of move on with it. Don't respond in anger. Don't respond in desperation mm-hmm. or, or maybe uh, another type of emotion, but just to be mindful of, hey, why do I feel this way? And then you can kind yeah. of help yourself out with next steps. Mm-hmm. I had I've had a similar experience in past uh in past lives where it's like replying to an email in the moment when you're hot under the collar is probably the worst thing you can mm-hmm. do. So I had an old boss, old director kind of like kind of talk to me about that because we were having a conversation and he's like, Well, it's fine if you feel these way this way, but it reads off in your email. As you maybe it can come off as curt, it can come off as angry or whatever, and you don't want that translated because it's not the real issue at co- at the core. It's not really what you're trying to communicate or the problem you're trying to solve. So giving yourself some time, if it's coming through an email, it's probably not that urgent. It can wait. Give yourself some space to breathe and be aware of what you're feeling in the moment. And I kind of took that to heart because I didn't realize how curt my writing could be or how it was being interpreted, or how people could be interpreting. So what I ended up taking away from that one is don't send emails after 4.30 or near the last half of my day when I'm mentally drained, I'm tired, worn out, because that's just kind of where the stress starts coming in. And you just emotionally, you're just kind of like, you're spent sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that was a rule I had, and it made a big difference because I could come back in the morning, fresh head, clear, and write what I wanted to write. Totally. And that's the other element with the notice and name. You look at what and who's around you, right? Like, are is it late at night and you've been stressed about work all day and you had that argument earlier in the day, so you've been kind of stewing on it. Then you had a commute and someone cuts you off and like you start to notice those things and then you can try to break the chain. You can try to look back. What was the thing that actually got me to where I am now? And say, oh, that was kind of that tipping point. So the next time you know, and I think a lot of this when people think about mindfulness, they think it's just like this woo woo, you're always elevated and happy, but it's not. It's about, again, going back to that mastering your emotions. It's about embracing them and utilizing. So it's not about not being angry or meditation is not like, it's not about not thinking. It's just about observing the thinking and seeing for it, it for what it is, right? Just a thought or just mm-hmm. anger, just frustration. What are you going to do with it now? And I mentally had to switch out the name mind the term mindfulness for awareness. It's emo- I, I look at it as emotional awareness. In this moment, I'm feeling X or Y. In this very moment, if it's bad, it's fine. Where am I feeling it? Take a few breaths, get some water, change the environment. 
but being just that first hurdle is just being aware of what you're feeling now. And then once you can, once you're aware of it, you can capture it. It changes how you respond and react moving forward. And sometimes it's, it's not a, it's not a perfect Mm -hmm. science. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. And it's just the way it's just being human at the end of the day, but it gets easier the more you do it and the more you learn about your own emotions and your own reactions. So my partner and I have tons of discussions about this, honestly, because we both can be emotional about things. And then it's a matter of stepping back and looking at, okay, well, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to communicate? No one wants to get into a fight. No one wants to be like duking it out in the middle of dinner or at the office it's about just acknowledging it's like, Hey, you know what? I'm kind of in a fragile mm-hmm. place right now. Maybe I need some time to come back to this because I'm not going to react the way I want to react or the way I should react. So it's not once I've acknowledged it, I can kind of act on it better. But if you notice that pattern, I think there's that value in, in noticing that pattern. If it's something that's happening over and over and over again, if it's the email at 9 PM for me, Alex, that, that just sets you right off. Um, you know, you can do something to not get that email at 9 p.m., mm-hmm. which is tell me not to send it. Not, not that I do. This is Brian, a silly you example. Better not but, send an email. Um, Don't you dare! <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna ping you at 9 p.m. saying better not email Alex at 9 p.m. And then you're gonna be mad at me for te- texting me that late. <laughs> I just put that on automation. Don't even look yeah. at it. Just let it run oh, yeah. for the rest of the That's rest right. of life. I need your help. You guys but, can just but automate if it's a, that. If it, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But if it's a work scenario that you, you get yourself into a situation that's just not good for you, you got to call it out, talk to your manager, or or maybe your manager is the one that's noticing, uh, whoa, you've been doing a lot of activity late at night. Is that something you're comfortable with? Is that a peak time, productivity time for you, or, or what's going on? You nailed it on the head. Like I think a lot of people, it's kind of like this either-or world. Like You better have that defined boundary of work and life. Or you better have, you know, you you better not be sending those emails late at night. But the world's not black and white, right? Like there's so much, there's a lot of nuance. And depending on the culture and the organization, maybe those late night messages are what gives the team those vibes and that good feeling and like what brings them together. And in that case, you don't want to do it uh, or not send out messages. So I think it's really just understanding your organization and what you're trying to achieve. And then knowing the time and place, maybe setting a policy or, around messages after a certain time and how they're delivered right like i know for me like as a solopreneur right like i I kind of built my own prison in a way that i'm getting messages from text email teams before i had Basecamp, miro click up like and i'm just like i'm going to like like this is insane i can't keep up to all this so slowly eradicating the tools that i don't really need and just focusing on those narrow channels and i think that's kind of where that communication element comes in you know, if my Microsoft Teams chat is just blowing up, I a feel bad because I can't get in and respond quick enough, and b I'm like I'm now overwhelmed because now I have to backtrack and try to understand that whole conversation, and then I go back to the top and I realize oh that wasn't even meant for me. So there's these little things that I think we need to start to learn in terms of how we're communicating and the tools we're using for it. But and again, take take that well uh, take that mindfulness step back. Why why do I feel anxious because I see a red dot with a large number of missed, you know, missed activities. Have I communicated with my colleagues? I'm, I'm busy right now. I'll get back to you. Then I don't need to think about it yeah. right now. Um, can I set my, my auto responder to say, Hey, I'm really swamped right now. 
pretend I'm not working today, but I am. I'm just focused on this project or that project. Yeah. So I think even even as a manager or even as a small team, you can kind of set those expectations to help curb that anxiety. So that's that's kind of an idea. But what else what else would you recommend for a team lead? What else would you recommend for someone who's tuning in today? Something that they could take away to help their team in that. And if that's kind of getting into your deep health uh, topic, we'd love to sort of close in on that too. Yeah, for sure. So I think in terms of like the deep health, we've kind of like already addressed a couple things. You know, one is there's so there's physical health and there's the mental health. Then we've got the social health. So those around us, we've got environmental health. Um, we've got emotional health. And we've also got this kind of like that spiritual element. So we kind of got like these six pillars. But, you know, my first thing around like my first action step it just it sounds very uh like it's cliche but it's like listen don't start giving you know you listen to this podcast or you listen to some podcast on some new conversation technique and then you go implement it right away without actually asking your staff hey how am i communicating do you think we're doing a good job you know discussing like are, is our communication channel appropriate for this sort of work task you know do, do you mind when I send emails at this time? Like, how can I be in service of you better? Like, how can I help you? You know, and then asking those questions, because then it's more collaborative. You have to first understand mm -hmm. someone's like, really their priorities before you can set clear expectations. But if you come in saying, okay, wellness is super important, we're going to do this initiative, you know, ABC, that almost feels like a push tactic. Like I'm doing this on to you. I'm doing this I get, like to you. You have to just kind of, you know, take it. That's what we're doing. But in reality, it should be done. Any sort of initiative should be done with the team and it should be done for them. And in order to have that, you literally have to start with listening. So and, and empathy. Right. So it sounds kind of like, yeah, dull and cliche, but I think just ask a lot of questions and then get to the bottom of it. Because maybe deep down what you came in thinking was the issue, maybe it, it really isn't the actual core issue. Maybe the core issue is something completely unrelated, right? So yeah, I, I'm gonna try to read Alex's mind on this one and think of booking meetings, right? Lots of teams book a weekly stand-up or whatever, and it's so that everybody can update everybody else on what they're working on. Is that efficient for the manager? And like you say, that's being put on to the teammates in in that group? Or is just a message every Monday morning what are you working on? What's on your agenda? What's on your task list this week? A little chitty chat, boom, everybody gets on with their day. And I guess it's that dialogue that's got to happen, right? Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine and they were doing, after the pandemic, they everyone moved home and they were basically like, okay, well, we're going to do these online daily stand-up meetings, talk about how we're feeling, what we're doing. And eventually they just kind of had to stop because it's like, are these actually helping anyone are these productive uses of your time and chant sounds like it wasn't because they ended up just going into like slack or whatever they used to just say oh i'm working on this today done send a little message say hi if you need to talk to someone go and talk to someone call a meeting but if you're busy if you're focused and you don't really have anything to add i don't want to be in that meeting i don't want to stand up for 10 minutes and just like listen to everyone else talk i've got things to do that's just going to add to my stress. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting balance. For sure. I like, and because I haven't been in the corporate setting for so long, other than me being like a wellness advisor, but like, so forgive me if I'm mistaken, but I almost feel like, you know, in some contexts, like 
project management or just managers or like meetings, they're almost like they're in place sometimes just to check a box so they can see progress. So there's tangible progress in hand. So that person can then go to their, you know, their managers or bosses and say, look, we've been following this. We've ticked all these boxes. And even if that meeting wasn't there, all those things were getting done anyways. But you created so much mental distress because now these people are having to pause their work and then go to do the task. So it's always interesting when you hear like these uber elite entrepreneurs like Elon Musk just trashing meetings. But then you've got other organizations where they see that and they're like, yeah, whatever, but we need meetings. That's not that's not us. We do need them. So it's almost interesting trying to figure out like, what's this meeting really for? And going back to Ryan's whole thing of why, why are we having this meeting? And do we need to have this many heads in the same room? Or it'd be better served as a quick check-in, a quick on-point text or a quick two-minute call. A poll. Yeah, right? Yeah, honestly, it's, I, I call it meetings for the sake of meetings. And some people feel that they do all of their work in meetings. That's how their entire day is. And then they spend, they start working late into the yeah. night answering emails and doing the work they didn't do during the day because they filled up their calendar and meetings. Mm-hmm. The thing I always say to that is, hey, you have work to do. Block off your calendar for two hours. Pick a task, two hours in your calendar. It's just you time. Vote, like Turn off all your notifications and just dial into whatever it is you need to do for the day. Have your task list it's ready. And then if someone needs you in a meeting, they'll have to book you yeah, later. Totally. I love that. You know, and even just that in of itself is a great strategy that kind of gets into that. I think we, you know, talking about like creative health and that kind of work, mental health, productivity mode. You know, the whole research done by like Mihal Csikszentmihalyi and, and flow states, and then Cal Newport kind of uncovering it with deep work and diving into unconscious thought theory. We need space. Like our brains need space. It's like when you work out, the magic doesn't happen in the gym. It happens when you recover. It happens when you sleep. Likewise, the best work, the best ideas happen when you're in a relaxed, calm state. But if you're always super focused, dialed in, it's really hard to do that. So by having those two hours of like really distraction-free work time, you could enter that flow state. You could hit that deep work. You could get a shitload of work done. And then you might have a 15-minute buffer where you can walk and just let your mind wander and then enter kind of like that, let your unconscious brain, you know, come to the the surface and start to make new connections and whatnot. And research is clear. You need that to happen. You can't be on all the time. You need to have that. And I think that's where this whole idea of work-life balance, I think, dissolves in place of work-life integration and bettering how, how can we integrate the two better? Because right now, more than ever, you know, we've got the parent who is trying to get their kids ready for school, who's also trying to get ready for work, who's also trying to pack lunches and like do all these crazy, like you're doing so many things, right? Your caregiver, your worker, and now these work-life boundaries have dissolved. So I think it's setting those rules in your schedule, like Alex, your recommendation, just like the two hour block. Like I do that for a lot of my tasks, like writing first thing in the morning, I do my most important task first thing. And that's like all my um, creative content writing where it's distraction free. No one's going to get me in my email or texting And then even for my own fitness hour, I've got something called my health hour plus buffer from 11 to 1230. So Mm -hmm. my workout's 45 minutes. I have time to shower, have time to eat, have time to catch up on some hockey news. And I've got that buffer where I can just relax because there's nothing worse than rushing from a meeting to another meeting or rushing from your gym into your workout into, you know, into work. Again, you're in that heightened state. You don't have that rest period that you need. 
Mm-hmm. I learned really hard that that hour is just not enough. One hour has never been enough. I used to try and block it off and I'm like, no, I need two hours seems to be like a magic number I'm seeing creep up. Because it takes time to settle into that flow state. Like if you try writing something you're, or even talking, right? Like when you start talking for the podcast, you probably don't feel like you're hitting that rhythm until you're already in it right at the beginning you're kind of like you know dusting off the cobwebs things are a little creaky but once you start going then you hit that state right it takes time but a lot of people meet that resistance as uh you know as something negative and then procrastination can take over and then they you know then they easily just put that excuse on oh i'm I'm just procrastinating it's too hard i'm not feeling creative but creative creativity takes Mm -hmm. time you need to create the environment that's conducive to creativity and that space from like distraction, you know, maybe it's looking at nature, like going, moving into a new room or changing your setting um, smells, like looking at all these things in your physical environment is important. Right. But if you create blended environments like me, where I'm in my bedroom, my office and my gym, sometimes things can get pretty nasty mentally because you're constantly thinking about like, you're now associating your space with sleep with work right? Or with working out with work. And so sometimes I have to go in the living room and just sit on my laptop there and work. Uh, and I know sometimes I'll get those creative juices flowing quickly, but not all the time. So it's experimenting is really important. Yes. Thank God it's warming up now because I can go out into the front porch and actually just write. Right. I can get some fresh air and just like kind of lay things out. And it makes a big difference because if I just parked myself in front of the computer and said, I need to do XXX task, my brain is going to be like, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. If you even like, you'll, like, and you'll probably fritter away. Yeah, like just looking you'll at, probably sit there and fritter away some time <laughs> getting getting to that state, right? Yeah, it's like you know that you're still drinking the coffee, trying to get like your brain to wake up, trying to get some stuff moving, or you're trying to just if it's later in the day, you're transitioning off something else you're doing. So your brain's not even 100 percent where you like on the task you're that's in front of you. It's still thinking about the thing you're doing, like an hour or two ago so Mm -hmm. yeah that time is so important and the environment is so critical at least for me we'll talk about a a hidden environmental factor is you know co2 levels in your room like i've got an air quality tester so uh, it's constantly monitoring my air quality and it's crazy like now i've noticed i'm getting higher scores because as the humidity goes up outside i get a better reading in here where in the winter months it's very dry in here but it's the co2 one so you know, and oftentimes like a good example would be on, uh, on an airplane right after boarding, it's very common that people start to feel drowsy. It's because when they're not circulating that air, CO2 starts to build up and you start to get fatigued. You start to get tired. That's a common side effect. Right. And there's a lot of variables that can influence productivity that aren't necessarily really about the thing we think they are. Like what, what is burnout? What is a lack of productivity? Well, what's the temperature like? Even variances in temperature can influence how productive we are. Um, CO2 is super important. Like if if your room is too high in CO2, like it's it's not good. Like your thinking is shot. Like it's so going outside or cracking a window, you know, the company to improve their ventilation rate, they might be like, oh, it's gonna cost more money. You'll save way more money from a productivity, employee productivity standpoint, just by increasing that ventilation rate a little bit by managing CO2 levels, hands down. Like and it's for the safety of your own team. Like too much CO2 in the atmosphere is not good. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought? And it's it's funny. We had a guest on a few months ago from Herman Miller to talk about like physical, like desks and chairs and, and rooms like and spaces and, yeah. and how they take on, 
Yeah, and, and how these rooms and spaces can take on a purpose too. And if you have this room with just too many purposes or too many desired purposes to go into this room and do something, then you get back to that, you fritter away trying to figure out what what am I doing here? What should I be doing here? Or if, if you have that breakaway room or like Alex, you have the porch, that's a place where you do blank. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's if I'm there, I'm in a zone, I'm in that flow state. And to take this way back around to technology and again to to our world, Paul, is we think about uh, what we've got in the Microsoft stack with something like Microsoft Teams, one app, one hub for, for teamwork, but you can go off and sort of jump into all these different little places, but yeah. you stay in your flow state in, in the Teams app. On top of that, we've got something in Microsoft 365 called My Analytics, which is going to give you a score. It's going to give you those recommendations on when you should block in that two hours of leave me alone. I'm focusing on this thing time. It's going to give you time to respond to emails. It's going to notice when you're working beyond your work hours. I love the focus time in that app. That's a lifesaver. That's where I get my two hour blocks in my day at least once to like mm-hmm. say, you know what? I'm, it puts me in do not disturb mode automatically and I can just focus on what I'm doing. I don't have to worry about emails. Don't worry about t- uh, Teams messages or anything else going on. Just like it's fine. And and an unwritten rule and sort of I think our company culture, Alex, I, I hope I do my best to leave you alone when you're set into that do not disturb mode. It's kind of an unwritten rule. It's a courtesy thing. Part of our, part of our, our culture. I know our management um, respects that, you know, if you're in DND, don't bug someone. Unless it's an emergency, right? Unless Alex has or Ryan's got donuts, then Alex comes out of the do not disturb mode, grabs that donut. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm breaking out urgent notifications. Hey, share. Hey, hey, Ryan. Hey, D and D. Do not donut. Do not donut. Wow, that's quick thinking. <laughs> I feel like you'd be. A, you'd, you'd be a, we got Ryan sh- would be a very going on like just pumping your tires here. I feel like you'd be like a the very unassuming good stand-up comedian you know you just got the quick little things that are kind of like your brain's in that slightly creative state where you can kind of come up with those little quips and whatnot i i am crafty but we always need a show name and that's why i always try to yeah. come up with a show name <laughs> yeah every once in a while i'm like ryan help i've been staring at this thing for way too long and i still don't have a name and it'll just like pump yeah, them out. there you go <laughs> years of years of consumer marketing experience will do that to you but no <laughs> But we're coming up on time. Uh, anything else, Paul, that you want to get get out about yourself, about Venova? Where can we find you? Any hot topics? Any homework you want to give to our listeners? Anything? What would you like to say? Yeah, with? like in terms of homework, I think I just want to reiterate the the notice and name component for your own mental health. Just you know, really highlighting how you're feeling, um, and then because once you can highlight it, you can. And then you know where you want to go. You can highlight that gap and it's easier to create that action plan. And like what Alex had said, like if the word rubs you off in the wrong way or doesn't mean anything to you, like mindfulness might not mean much to you, but emotional awareness might mean something to you. So I think finding the language that fits your life is really good. So noticing and naming and getting clear on that language that you want to use. And then when it comes to the manager's standpoint, listening, listening to staff, asking questions, before you start launching all these new wellness initiatives or whatever it may be, whatever communication strategy or new thing you want to do, ask questions, get collaboration on it. Um, because the team won't think less of you because you're not the expert. They, they're going to love you more because you're actually taking the time to include them in on that process. And I think sometimes a lot of people, they assume that 
the expert is supposed to know everything, but the the power is in not knowing, right? And having a little bit of that uh, imposter phenomenon. Like you, I think everyone needs to lead a little bit with that and know what they don't know. And uh, that's really important. And yeah, in terms of reaching out to me, thenovawellness.com, I've got a couple articles in there uh, that, that go back a few years. They could reach out to me there. There's a few pages that need some updating, but my newest website I launched is just my name. So paulmkeefe.com. I'm also on Instagram at Coach Paul Keefe. And then on LinkedIn, if you just search Paul Keefe, I'm sure I'll, I'll pop up. And if, if you listen to this and you're in, in Winnipeg, I should be the probably the first one that pops up. So yeah. And anytime people want to reach out to me, I'm uh, I'm an email, text, or uh, LinkedIn message away. Absolutely. We'll have all of your uh, contact information in the show notes so people can uh, look you up from there as well. Perfect. Right on. Well, Paul Keith, thank you so much. Uh, Again, listeners, check out Paul's material. I can tell you it's well-written, very, very solid material. I'm I'm always checking out Paul's content. Um, Reach out if your organization is considering corporate wellness. Um, Certainly a great time for it now, certainly uh, with, with pandemic and languishing as we as we discovered uh learn about paul's approach thank you so much paul this has been this has been good it's been a really really good episode thank, thank you so you. much it's been, yeah really fun thanks for coming on thank you everyone for joining in again as always see you next time all right thank you dear listeners for hanging out with us today if you enjoyed what you heard please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes you can find us on all the major podcasting apps We release new episodes every second and fourth Thursday of the month. On behalf of Ryan, myself, and the amazing staff at Claire Concepts who helps make this show possible, take care.